Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am L.J. LaFura. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how are you doing right now? Doing good. Uh, Certainly a weird day, weird overall just week. I guess it's been in the MLB. It's been a weird week. Was this possibly the biggest mess of a day in the MLB all season? It's pretty close. I mean, there was just a lot going on today uh, and a lot of different stuff, just very weird, very random, certainly not things that we expected to see today. But uh, yeah, let's talk about it, huh? Um, yeah, let's jump into this Red Sox-Yankees game first. Brandon, do you want to do thoughts on it first, or do you want to do the recap first and then thoughts later? I will take the recap proudly, and then we can um, we can get into it. All right, well, Yankees and Red Sox, game number two in the series. And Boston gets on the board in the second inning. Christian Arroyo with an RBI single. It's one to nothing. Red Sox drives in Jaron Duran, who made his MLB debut in this one. Bottom five, the Yankees tie it up. DJ LeMahieu, RBI single, tied at one. 
in the sixth, the rain started to really come down. This game got delayed an hour prior to the game starting uh, for rain. It started to really come down here in the sixth. Gary Sanchez home run to right center field that puts the Yankees up two to one. Glaber Torres homer makes it three to one Yankees. After the Yankees hit in the sixth, they call it quits uh, as the rain starts to really come down at this point. They call the game off. Yankees win three to one uh, and probably one of the worst choices ever made by a grounds crew by delaying the start of the game by an hour when it wasn't raining and then playing six innings during the pouring rain. Uh, probably one of the dumbest things that I've I've seen personally. But, um, yeah, Yankees win, get their first win against the Red Sox this year. And you can credit it to Garrett Cole. Six innings, one earned run, and 11 strikeouts. The loss to Hirokazu Sawamura, one-third of an inning, two hits, two home runs allowed. Avaldi, five innings, two hits, one earned run, seven Ks. And, uh, yeah, Sawamura takes his first loss on the year. LJ, uh, first of all, I mean, thoughts on what I said as to, you know, waiting an hour or having the game not start for an hour when it wasn't raining. Then once it started raining, they started the game. I'll get into more of it in a minute, but on a whole, I think this entire series has been complete and utter bullshit. And they haven't really known what the heck they're doing with anything right off the bat since the whole COVID thing. Honestly, why was this game even started? Well, you, if you, you, I don't know why they wouldn't just start it at the time it was supposed to start no, 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 if, it wasn't, yeah. if it wasn't raining. Exactly. So you could start it at the time it's supposed to start. They choose to delay an hour and then come out and start in the rain. And at that point, the rain got pr- pretty hard in those first two innings. I believe I, I had said to you at one point that in the bottom of the first, I'm like, let, let, let's let's delay right now because at that point Evaldi had just hit two batters and I wasn't trying to get out of anything I swear I I am fully accepting loss like it if, if you to, if you told me we could have played this game tomorrow and we would lose all the same I'd be fine with it I thought this was a dangerous proposition going into this game because Brandon you saw it Cole had two two balls miss to head level in that first inning in the in the rain to start the game and then Ivaldi goes and hits two batters in the bottom of that that same inning and I was just thinking this rain's probably only going to get worse in the next couple innings luckily that stretch only held on for maybe what was it, another inning inning and a half and then we got a couple innings of clear play but MLB what are you doing because they knew that this second front that hit in the sixth inning was coming and they knew that they had to for some reason get it in in between them if you are delaying an hour to start in rain in hopes of avoiding a second thing like it was just wishful thinking as far as i can see that they were going to be able to get through enough of the game and get a winner in before that second front came you cannot predict baseball that well this a red sox yankees series should not be put under that kind of scrutiny. I'm not saying it should be like handled with delicate care. It shouldn't be given that much preferential treatment. However, like 
there's no reason for you to rush one of your biggest series of the year and try to force in six innings or five innings to get around the rain when you could easily do it the next day, half the next day. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense, but also like they had Thursday's game get canceled. If you were to, you know. Yeah, but this, this could have gotten somebody hurt. You can agree with that, right? The first, the first couple I mean, innings. Yeah, could but have you, yeah, you could have said that about a bunch of the games that got played tonight, not just this game. This one was pretty bad, Brandon. No, no, I know, but I just think that because you guys are on the losing side, you you're saying no, no, because a little bit Brandon, more inclined to no, because look, at, I I understand what you're saying, but I think I mean there was a few other games where it's just like uh, I, I I think we need to reevaluate what what how hard a rain players are allowed should be allowed to play in exactly that's my point i mean there's there's no reason for this to be played again i i have a couple other comments on the series as a whole to make here that i'm not trying i'm trying my hardest not to sound like i'm whining over the loss and it's not that's not where i'm coming from i say this truthfully but you're right we need to look into this and this is just another reason that we should be moving the um, season down to fewer games. If you're playing 150 games, if you're playing 140 games, you're not going to have trouble pulling a trigger on this game because you're going to have a lot more time to reschedule. And that's just another, another just common sense safety thing that they could be bringing into it. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Uh, the other thing, and this was something you, you probably won't believe me, but this was something that I was fully intending to bring up yesterday. What the hell is going on with this officiating crew for this series? They, the umps have been not necessarily home plate tonight because there was one call that was controversial, but it was there was two calls. It was a strike, minute. though. It, it, uh, the one, the the one across automatic the strike zone, what I would call it, the strike. The one across the, the middle, the uh, white chalk? What, the slider? In the sixth or the fifth? The, the only one that I saw that was that was close, it was it was a strike according to the K zone, the automated one. I think that, that there was one in the sixth that was rough, and there was a um, – the check swing on um, Vasquez. Well, they don't. They again. They, again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I don't want the calls back, Brandon. I'm no, just saying. But the 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 check swings. The problem is that they they still don't show the good enough angles. They show. They try to show that angle that's like above home plate, but it's still at an angle behind the plate, so you you have no idea whether or not they went or not. I mean. Again, is it, is it that is that hard either to be able to line up on the left and right sides of the batter's box, like a camera that's going to get those angles? Well, that's I what get, I was saying, like, or a camera that's directly over home plate. Like, I get that's probably pretty hard to do, and they can get it as close as possible. But, yeah, wouldn't it make more sense to take it from the side? Because it's all about, like, I don't know where the – I feel like it would be a lot better if we had a kind of a vantage point of what the base umpires see in that situation but unfortunately we don't but um, I mean, other than that i mean the yankees just jump on this red Sox bullpen whether there was oh, 
you know, any, absolutely. I mean, Hirokazu Sawamura just with an absolute blow up effort here. Uh, what what it came what it came down to is in the bottom of that sixth inning, the rain significantly increased. One team was ready to play through it, and the other one wasn't. That's what it came down to. That was the difference in winning. Um, but back to my point originally, Brandon, I'm sure you noticed this yesterday. Either Christian Vasquez had the greatest framing game of any pitcher, any catcher in their career yesterday, or there was something seriously wrong with who was it, Laz Diaz behind the plate, because he was playing him for a fool for the majority of that game. The whole umpire crew was a mess. I mean, there was literally two strikes with two outs in the inning. The ump gets hit in the mask, says he's fine. Then they bring out the training crew, and we have to spend another five minutes uh, talking to the ump after he already said he's fine. There's, it's the middle of an at-bat. Like, I understand. Like, trust me. I, the, obviously, the ump's safety comes first. But you literally see him mouth to – I think it was Gary who was hitting. He's like, yeah, I'm fine, or whoever it was. And then we're still sitting there and waiting. I mean, it's like well, – and then we have the shit where that idiot drunk fan threw the ball onto the field, and then they pull all the players off the field. So I'm like, oh, it's like a rain delay now. No, they just pulled the players off the field for no good reason other than to kick out that fan. Um. And I'm going to fully quick. disagree that it, that, 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 that was, that was a fine reason. I mean, no, no, it was a fine reason, but you know, like, okay, I get like, obviously terrible that the fans are doing that's that. Just a, that's just another degenerate New Yorker, which again, certainly not a Yankee. It's not a Yankees thing. It's a city thing, but I mean, I just, again, to, to touch on that. So I don't get, I'm not going to get too far into that thing incredibly sad, incredibly terrible for the game because this is the exact thing thing you don't want to happen. This is the exact thing we hope doesn't ruin guys like Alex Verdugo going down the stretch. We can we can overwhelmingly agree that having a guy who interacts with the fans so much is overwhelmingly positive for the game. I mean, there was that story coming out of the last Yankees series at Yankee Stadium, the game we were at where there was with he was talking back and forth with uh particularly one guy out there. Um that guy flat out came out and said like yeah I've kind of I've become I, I'm still a Yankees fan for life but I've become a Alex Verdugo fan. Like he's growing the game he's making people interested in giving that personal connection. If we start having asshole degenerates like this guy make it so it is not a safe environment for the players on the field. And it's not a safe environment for them to be able to interact with fans. That isn't, that isn't the culture that the NBA, the MLB should ever be around. And, but then tying this back into the whole rain delay thing, I'm not sure if you heard the Red Sox point of view on all of this, but they, so they pulled everybody, everybody in, they went in, Frankly, it was probably the best idea because after getting hit in the back, Alex Verdugo was rightly pissed. And everybody, large, a lot of people largely just needed to cool off. They needed to settle things down in the stadium. They probably could have used another minute or two delay in there. 
but the umpires came back over and said, we have to get this inning in before the rain comes. Was there justification for moving on with the game past that event? I mean, again, it's not the end. Of, it's not, that shouldn't be the end all be all for the game, but why, what game should ever be in that much of a rush? Well, no, it wasn't both. Well, I mean, I feel like in, in, whether it's Yankees, Red Sox, or whoever, they're they're playing that inning. I mean, it's just like the if the if both of the pitchers didn't seem to care because I know Cole kept going out there and he wasn't complaining, and Evaldi certainly didn't seem like they were that mad. If the if the starting pitchers think it's fine, I mean, that's that's probably where I draw the line. Like once once yeah. the pitchers think it's not safe and. Not once did Salamora or Josh Taylor or Garrett Cole, for that matter, ever make a gripe to the umpire that they shouldn't be pitching. I mean, so. No, they didn't. However, this was before the big rain, the big front came in. The, so when it, this whole thing happened in the fifth, it, was, it wasn't raining in the fifth, but they came out and said, we have to get, keep things going until the end of, uh, until we can get everything in before well, i don't blame them trying to make it an official game i mean that's no it already it, it, it was going to be an official game it was just i don't know i just if that whole thing felt very messy to me i mean like that i mean aaron boone said he hopes that that guy's in jail i mean look it's just it's a it's a stupid situation because you get idiot fans like that who just completely not connected with the game but still well yeah that's all, all, also at the end of the day never understood. at the end of the day the yankees triple a team just beat the best team in the league our best pitcher shoved red sox offense couldn't really do anything the whole night it was a successful game for us and uh yeah we're gonna take game three tomorrow so it's all that matters yeah um you know it was good also um what else happened? Oh, is there any update on um Tim LaCastro? Tim Lo, yeah. Yeah, torn ACL. He's done for the oh. So looks like either Trey more, more Amber time. looks like now more time for my boy Minho Park. Well, I think we're gonna need to make a trade now. <laughs> no, I mean we don't have a center fielder. Oh, you're, you're you're right. Again. I respect the hell out of Brett Gardner for all of these years playing certainly at a major league level at this, at this age, he is not a center fielder and I'm sure he knows that he probably shouldn't be trying to keep up with this all, but boy, has he, he has certainly put it. You can agree, put a valiant effort in, in center field this year. He has done Far, he has far exceeded my expectations for him if you told me he was going to be your everyday center fielder. Hitting-wise, absolutely not. He has not been valiant. Uh, I mean, I guess... He, I guess defensive, I, defensively, though. This dude's, what, 37? Yeah, no, look, he... Yeah, sure, he can... He stopped he, being a center fielder a little like bit of years defense. ago. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I still don't understand why we traded for a center fielder and then we play him in left field. Uh, that's just... Well, where else is he going to eat wall? Dude, why, was, is Brett Gar- why is Brett Gar- So why is our slower outfielder in center field? Like when, what team has ever thought that that was the, the idea there? I just, uh, I don't understand. It seems like 
everything that involves logic, the organization just goes the opposite of. Like, but what's the point of tr- going out and saying, yeah, we need to trade for a center fielder because clearly we don't have one. And then you don't use, you never use the guy in center field. Like he played one, I think out of every game he played, he was in center field one time for us. Yeah, he's played in eight games. He's been in center field once. Yep, so much for trading for that good center fielder, guys, because guess what? He just got hurt in left field, and he's done. So, um, Other than that, what did you think of Jaron Duran's debut for the Red Sox? Yeah, he had a nice hit, uh, scored a run. Uh, other than that, I mean, just another Red Sox I'm going to hate for years to come. So nice to see his, his first game. Uh, from, my, from my perspective, it is very nice to see someone with speed on this team that's not named Danny Santana. Yeah, uh, it's nice to, you know, potentially add another, you know, good bat in there in front of Arroyo or whoever they're they're playing. Still don't understand why the Red Sox choose to hit two, like, mediocre hitters at the top. Like, I get that everyone has, like, their spot in the lineup and it doesn't really change much, but it just, I don't know. I just feel like you're wasting, like, just that you guys have probably wasted 20 runs this year by hitting not Alex Verdugo first and then not Xander Bogarts or J.D. Martinez second. Uh, I just, I I don't. I know, but again, if... (laughs) I, I do I do agree with the logic of if Alex Verdugo flat out says he's not comfortable leading off, then that's probably not the best move long-term production-wise for anybody to force him in there. I mean, they did that with Ben Tendi two years ago, and it really screwed things up for him. Uh, I just – I've So, again, but no, the, no you're I've, right, though, because there should have been a better – option found at this point like we're leading the division we've got a game and a half lead in the division after the all-star break and we still haven't found a lead up there i've just never been a fan of like using one of your lower on base percentage guys in the leadoff spot it, it just makes zero sense that guy gets the most at bats out of any player on your team and you like you guys choose a low on base percentage guy that just it doesn't make a lot of sense logically really i mean look like i get like back in the 80s and 90s when we didn't have when we didn't use advanced stats you just put your fastest guy to hit first you didn't care if he hit 190 you just need him to get on base and steal bases uh so that way the big rbi guys could drive him home of course we're a lot more smarter with our little lineup construction now try to stack those on-base percentage guys towards the top. And, I mean, look, the 3-4-5 in the Red Sox lineup, usually 3-4-5-6, is very good. Don't get me wrong. It's just I feel like the lineup would be a whole lot more scarier if you could find that bat to hit leadoff because having a guy in the leadoff spot who's consistently getting on base – I mean, with the way that the Red Sox team is, I mean, it, it would be really tough to to then have to pitch to the next guys with, with a runner on base that early. That's just 
how I see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And if you're talking about defying logic here, we haven't brought up the fact that Xander Bogarts is sitting against Garrett Cole two days after the All-Star break. Yeah, geez, but what are well, he, he's hurt though. He's like actually hurt though, right? Like something is wrong. Um, I, I'm gonna be honest, I haven't looked to get an answer on it, but I had not immediately heard anything. I thought they said something about hand or something. I don't know, hand or wrist or something. I had they were interviewing him on the broadcast, which I wasn't paying attention very much to. Uh, the 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 commentary, I should say at least. I was watching the game, but did not have the commentary on very loud. No, I I also didn't have the commentary for most of the game, but yeah, this dude. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Yeah, hopefully it's nothing serious. But again, that was just a uh, it, it, it's it's not the, it's not the perfect lineup. And I think you could also argue Alex Verdugo's skill set might not be perfectly suited to be leading off that group either, or at least to be in the two hole either. Yeah, no, I don't think. That, I mean, I think that your best two hole hitter is Xander Bogarts. Uh, I think that. Oh, if oh you've been... no, 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 but but Brandon, he's got a, he's got a bat fourth. He has to. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like you have two other better. You know, okay, it's not like you have two other hitters hitting behind them who have much more a natural power than Xander Bogarts, and those being JD and Rafi Devers. Those guys have, I mean, have a lot more power, I would say. And that's this the guy, Xander Bogarts, who has hit 30 home runs in a season. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I, it's I, a weird I, I don't spot like for him to be because, granted, it, wor- it works. And it works only because he is such a generally good hitter. He's not a power hitter, but his contact and on base is good enough to make it not a gaping hole. However, I think that the spot that, like, Logically, if you're thinking in a perfect world, in a perfect world, you have a leadoff hitter. You then move into Alex Verdugo in the two hole. Alex Verdugo isn't necessarily the biggest power hitter. What is it? I think he's got like nine home runs on the year. He's more of a contact guy who's going to put the ball, get you those hits when you need them and put the ball in play a lot. And so when you have that type of guy there, you could easily be risking disaster 
for having guys on base for Martinez, Bogarts, Devers, Renfro. Yeah, like no. it's, it's, a, it's a big risk. I would rather see him in that five hole than I would in the two. Certainly one would be better. Well, uh, we have a bunch of more. Yes. We have more. Uh, we have more uh, topics uh, here. Yes, other than this game, um, we are moving into. I have the next game. You have the next one, right? All right, the Padres and the Nationals. Uh, this game gets going. Top one, Jake Cronenworth, who actually hit for the cycle yesterday. I should mention that. Yesterday, mm-hmm. of course, we didn't do any game recaps, but Jake Cronenworth hits for the cycle. Padres win 24 to 8. Uh, thought that that was a football score when I first saw it. But uh, Cronenworth with an RBI single, he stays high. It's 1 0 San Diego. Manny Machado with a sack fly makes it 2 0. Bottom one, though, the Nats get one back on a Josh Harrison RBI single. Tati steps up in the second and he rips an RBI single that scores Blake Snell. It's three to one San Diego. Haseon Kim with a double into the gap to make it five one after three innings, or excuse me, after two and a half, because then Ryan Zimmerman with a three run bomb and it's five four San Diego leads now. Tatis comes through with another RBI single in the top of the sixth. Cronenworth with a single makes it 7-4. Manny Machado with a single makes it 8-4. The Padres with 14 hits through six innings. They're just completely tearing up this Nationals pitching staff. However, the big thing in this one, uh, during the middle of the uh, bottom of the sixth inning, I believe is when this got suspended. Yeah, bottom of the sixth inning. Uh, there is gunshots heard outside of the third base uh, entrance to Nationals Park. Players uh, and fans both think that these gunshots are happening within the stadium. Uh, players are running into the stands to grab their families to bring them into the clubhouse. Of course, they take all the players off the field. Really scary scene. I mean, I can't imagine mm. being there. But just but just watching it after like even even knowing that everyone was safe, like afterwards, just watching it. I mean, the pure panic on the players. I mean, they're literally like climbing basically through the through the fence to to get to their family just to like bring them to safety in the clubhouse. I mean, it's crazy. You got Fernando Tatis like running out of the dugout trying to get as as many of his family members as possible, essentially in his arms to get them back i mean it's it's just absolutely crazy situation here and uh yeah so they end up suspending this game they're gonna resume it at one o'clock today uh just you you talk about the players what about the fans in this scenario yeah no because the the players 110 percent when all of a sudden done knew what was going on well before the fans ended up knowing what was going on. But more so with them, there's just, there's no good way to disseminate information during that whole scene. So you have guns being fired outside of the stadium. You have a large group of people here who think that these gunshots might be within the stadium. 
and yet they're being told to stay seated. That, I mean, honestly, that would just be so much, so much stress and pressure because again, there's so many ways that that whole situation could have gone wrong. I mean, thankfully no one else got hurt because you could have seen serious issues where people just did what they could to try to get out. I mean, I just can't imagine, I can't imagine myself in that situation not not having any clue what's going on, just having a PA system largely telling me exactly what's going on and really just being told, sit in my seat and wait until further instruction. Like those aren't those aren't the situations where I want to be hearing that. Yeah, no, certainly not. And you know, I whether it's the fans that are panicking, like Imagine what like the stadium executives are like thinking about, like their job is to keep everybody safe and they still don't have a handle on the situation. They have no, they don't have really any idea what's going on. And then now you have to basically order around however many people were in attendance to see what the, if there's a number here that I can see. Um, well, while you're looking for that, I mean, it's just, how do you, how do you know a hundred percent for sure where thing what's going on exactly right yeah uh, the, major, exactly the majority of true. the majority of the first minute or so was or at least a minute or two was them trying to figure out even if it was in within the stadium i mean if it's within the stadium you need to keep you need to get people going you need to get them getting out of here and then once you find out it's outside of the stadium all of a sudden you're in mode of trying to keep everybody in i mean if you if you panic with that decision or if you allow too many people to panic in those early moments, that could have ended up very bad. I mean, if we had a bunch of people piling out that, whatever, I think it was third base side. Third base one side, the, yeah. One of the third base side gates. If it was coming out, on the, if a bunch of people started flowing out one of those gates all at once, things could have gotten really ugly if, if a number of people panicked in that situation. And then granted, yeah. granted, if you keep people sitting there and it's inside the stadium and you you act too late, things could go very wrong too. I mean, there's just, there was so few ways, there was, all right, maybe not so few, I shouldn't say, but there were, there were a lot of ways in which things could have gone very wrong, but props to the people who made sure things went right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought it was handled pretty good by the Nationals. I mean, we, we, we pretty much just broke down the circumstances. They handled it pretty well. Uh, of course, a ton of security outside of the stadium and whatsoever. And uh, they were able to uh, have all the fans exit out of the center field and left field gates, uh, pretty much escorted fans out of the stadium while they controlled the situation outside. Hopefully this isn't an issue in any city in the future, but especially Washington. Uh, LJ, but can we talk about, I mean, this Nats pitching staff just got absolutely torched like in the first couple of games that they played here in this series. I mean, they gave up 24 runs last night. They allowed 14 hits in six innings already. I mean, this is just, this is just bad. I mean, we talked about the Nats yesterday. You said that they were trying to buy, be, be, be buyers. I mean, what is this team going to buy? They need a lot. That's yeah, I again, this was the team that we were like, oh, they could do it going into the year. They certainly have a lot of intriguing pieces on this team, but they're so, so far 
from being a full team. That's why we were so in agreement that this is the least likely team to succeed if they act as buyers in the rest of the season. Because, I mean, realistically, you go through their lineup. Well, for starters, we're talking about low on base guys in the one hole as they've had their share of issues there. Um, real, realistically, you, all right, so if you bring Schwarber back, you have a solid enough one through three. Um, maybe you can talk me into Josh Bell. Oh, the no, Josh no. Bell. I could talk myself into Josh Bell. Like, I mean, he's a switch hitter. He's going to give you, like, like, I don't know what he has right now, probably like a mid-700 OPS. Like, I'm fine with that for kind of a power guy. He's 12 home runs. Like, you expect more out of him in that front. But he's a switch hitter. Nice to stick there in the middle of the lineup. What I want to know is how this team has the third largest payroll in the league, yet is so bad. And I get that, yes, Strasburg has been hurt. But this, I mean, people don't realize Strasburg still has, he has to pitch through 2026 and he's getting, he's making 35 million a year with, with the way that his health has been the future of, I mean, that, that contract could completely, you know, hurt this team within the next couple of years. Scherzer's a free agent after this year, you still have to pay Patrick Corbin through 2024 and the way he's been pitching this year, I mean, has this guy lost, like, lost it? I mean, I thought this guy was supposed to be, like, an ace because I remember in the 2019 playoffs, he kind of carried them in a couple of games there. And now I'm watching him pitch, and it's just like he doesn't have anything. I mean, this this ERA for this entire staff, you know, we thought that signing John, John Lester was going to be a good idea. He's almost – I mean, he's walked – 28 batters struck out 42 he's got over a 5 ERA Patrick Corbin now way over a 5 ERA I mean this team is just they're just a mess and for as much as their payroll is and as many star players they have on this team I just I I I don't understand it I mean I think that this is a team that if anything like Max Scherzer absolutely right now needs to be on the trade market like there's no doubt in my mind that they need to trade him now i don't see how you can afford anything right now um the the uh steven strasberg contract is the i guess you could call it the nathan Ivaldi contract on steroids why would all right? Well, so now here's my question because I'm sure that Strasburg's agent made sure that this got done. But why would they give him more money than Scherzer? Like, I get Strasburg was like your homegrown guy, and like, yeah, again, look, I totally get that. Like, I look if I'm Strasburg, I want more money than Scherzer because I because I did get picked number one overall by this organization. I did make it all the way up and become a star pitcher. Like, I get I get that, but. Like you gave Scherzer seven years, two hundred ten million, and it turned out to be one of the best free agent signings. I'm actually I'm going to say it: the best free agent contract in MLB history was that contract to Max Scherzer. Uh, I'll say the best free agent deal that's over like two hundred million dollars mm-hmm. went to Max Scherzer. Uh, and 
the Nationals are certainly very happy with their return on investment there. Strasburg, you know, they kind of milk his service time, like not milk it, but they were happy that he was so good when they didn't have to pay him as much. Then they pay him right before the 2020 season. And he just can't stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. And well, I I honestly think if you were to look at this without injury history at all, you look at the Steven Strasburg we saw in 2019, and he is pretty close to the money he got. That would that yeah. was some of the best Steven Strasburg we have ever seen, especially at the end of that season and in the playoffs when they needed him most. And so oh, yeah, in the World to, Series, he was he was just absolutely shut down. I mean, he killed that Astros team. Absolutely. And so what it comes down to now is the fact that when you're the homegrown guy, when you when you are the second most hyped, yeah, he, he obviously probably I think you could make an argument. He's probably still one of the top five most hyped prospects of the last 15 years. He's the most hyped pitching prospect of yeah. like the last 20 years, probably. Which, 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 which is scary seeing he's not even the most hyped prospect in the history of his team. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, like he, he, went, he might not be like, in the top He was the big 40. prospect. Hmm? I, said, I said he he might not be in the top three with the way that like Soto, like if, if Soto – like turns out to be something crazy. Like I don't know. I feel yeah, like but Soto might... didn't have the hype that came with a Bryce Harper. Like you had you had people tuning into college baseball, really making college baseball fun. I mean, this was like the lighter rocker type thing. But if you added all of the hype to lighter and rocker, you got the Steven Strasburg hype train when he was at San Diego State. You then go into the organization for a couple of years, and next thing you know, they walk out with the most hyped prospect of the last 25 years in Bryce Harper. And it's just, you're just not that special anymore. But anyway, my point is you have this homegrown, all hype superstar pitcher that just came f- through for you in the clutch and was part of the reason that you have this brand new world series title just about every world series team manages to get sentimental about somebody that they probably should shouldn't if not one person two people three people it happens it happens way more than you think it does i mean the red sox almost got burnt on two of them luckily they've only been burnt on one of them the other the other contract is actually starting to look pretty good um with Ivaldi and um steve pierce but that's really the way I see the Steven Strasburg deal. You see, you can justify the money if you don't look at the peripherals. And then all of a sudden, once he does what he did there and the emotion comes into play, you can overlook those peripherals and give him that money. But now we're in a situation where if Juan Soto stays in Washington, we could lose a large portion of his prime because there's just not enough money to go around and build out the rest of this roster. I mean, look, the ownership is willing to spend. We know that, like, but they're going to have to spend a lot in the future. I mean, Trey Turner is a free agent after next year. 
he's going to want a lot of money because he just saw what his buddies Francisco Lindor and Tatis guy. No, he's not going to be getting that money, but their contracts certainly help his case to get a lot of money. Uh, well, you have that, but you also now have Correa and you have Seager and, and Trevor both Story. That, Trevor Story. Oh, Javi Baez. I, I, I had put Javi Baez in there before I put Trevor Story. But, wow. Hot take. Um, isn't that what this show is for? Is just me to shit on Trevor Story? I thought, thought that was what it became over the past couple of year, weeks. Um, anyway. No, you have all of these guys this year, and then next year you could, fingers crossed on could, hopefully won't, have a guy like Xander Bogarts popping onto the market as well to help be a baseline. So not only do you have all of these high-end shortstops getting money before you to start, get the bidding started there, but you could also play the waiting game and wait out a guy like Xander Bogarts in your same free agent class to try, try to get a little extra out of whatever team ends up bringing you in. There is a lot of room for negotiation for next year's shortstop class. Yeah, well, I think my point here is, like, the Nationals, they certainly like to spend. I think me and you figured it out, and they have a total of, like, $70 million that's coming off their books after this season, which is huge because they're at 200 million right now. I mean, they increase, they're one of the only teams to increase their payroll from the 2020 to 2021 season. Uh, they're at 201 million and they get the Scherzer deal off their books, which is 42 million. So they have money to spend, whether they want to go back out and get Scherzer and sign him to, I can only imagine he'd want to sign like a two or three year deal. I mean, he's going to be, he just turned 37 years old. There's no, I mean, he, he is crazy though. I mean, if, if there was a guy who would pitch yeah. to like 45, it would be Max Scherzer and would still like be, actually, I would love to see that. But the point is that the Nets spend, they're clearly willing to spend money. They're getting a lot of money off their books they could still turn this into something like you still have Juan Soto and Trey Turner on your team. I mean, you put those two bats on any roster, it immediately makes your outlook a lot better. Okay. So now you get all this money to spend. Maybe you go out and you try to get Kevin Gaussman this off season, right? Cause he's going to be a free agent. Maybe okay. that's the guy you try to get there. Like that would work. I feel you get all this Max Scherzer money. You Go and get a guy like Kevin Gaussman. You're, you can you don't have to spend all that money on Gaussman, right? He's not going to make $40 million a year. You can then spread that money around, whether you want to add some more bats in the infield. They certainly need a third baseman. Uh, look, I mean, I don't want to be throwing out any crazy names, but I just feel like Kevin Gaussman, I know he's on the qualifying offer this year. He's a free agent. He's pitching really well. A lot of teams are going to be aggressive to get him. And when the Nats are willing to spend money on pitching like they have in the past, would be interesting. Yeah, I just, you, you say that, and I see where you're coming from. I think with that extra youth, he may certainly be a better value to them. But it does partially feel like a net zero or maybe a minor net bringing that in. I mean, I still think there's just, there's a lot more wrong that 
that money is going to be able to fill, especially if you have to bring, if you still have to bring in a number one starter to replace Max Scherzer, if you're letting Max Scherzer go, it's a rough situation. It's a rough situation now because you look at the starting rotation and you've got guys like John Lester and Eric Fetty, who we were, we were kind of penciling in as guys who could kind of like, you know, eat innings, be those fine, fine to all right back end of the rotation guys, the guys that are going to be able to get, go out and get you innings. And they have managed to go and somehow disappoint the lowest expectation for positive impact you could possibly have on a team. And to add on top of that, you were supposed to have a really good one, two, three punch with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Patrick Corbin is probably the second worst starter on this active roster right now. He's broken. He's, he's just completely broken. I don't know what's for, what it is. It's shocking. I mean, this is the guy that we were talking about the Yankees bringing in to be their number one a couple of years before the whole. I was so high on him. Like that's I was like, yup, we're going to get Patrick Corbin. Like that's, that, that's exactly what we needed. And, like, then I see him win the World Series, and he pitches so well, and I'm like, look, should have got Patrick Corbin. Last year, it's like, all right, like, maybe, like, Patrick Corbin, like, all right, it's 2020. Like, we can give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, LJ, his baseball savant page, it's just a bunch of blue here. Compared to 2019, where I see a lot more red. I mean, it's just, I don't know. He's well- – He's not striking guys out, really. And he's when he gets hit, they're just absolutely killing the ball. This all brings me to the, this question, and that is, are MLB contracts too long? No, I don't think they're too long. I think that the service time is too long. You should not have to wait six years to get paid. And a lot of guys, it turns out to be seven years or longer because their teams can – you know screw around with their service time no the the contracts aren't too long the teams are choosing to give those contracts but the problem is that you have to wait six years to become a free agent if you bump that number down by two years even the four which is what like the nba is basically that the 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 nfl both through that basically right and those leagues, you don't see them these like the only crazy contract I can think of right now, the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, right? Like the, obviously that contract. Yeah. And like you can compare that to Mike Trout's contract in the MLB. But besides that, 
That's why GMs aren't spending money anymore. Because what? Why is it worth it to spend to you know invest seven years of time and money into a thirty-year-old when historically every single contract has turned out to be hurt to hurt the team by the end of the day? Like well, except just, for this Nats contract, like this Scherzer yeah. deal, the fact that he's still good on his last year of his deal is so important. Again, I don't want to say that we should hold teams' hands. It's one of my least favorite things. I think it hurt the NBA a lot when they stopped bringing high schoolers in, basically just to be able to to protect their teams. Like you shouldn't be making it making those rules to protect your teams from making poor decisions. However, like a a huge positive that you have in that league is the fact that just about every contract in some way is offloadable. And you can recoup a lot of mistakes that way. Having having contracts that aren't more than four or five years, and again, I acknowledge it's these own teams' fault for doing this. I think overall you should they should really be incentivizing this more. But like a Steven Strasberg, if you start to see this isn't working, it's much harder to do this if, let's say, you they gave him 10 years. Just throwing it out there, a situation like Steven Strasburg gets 10 years. It's much harder to deal him in year four with six years left than year four with two years left or year three with two years left. Like, you're going to see more of the teams that aren't in contention being willing to take prospects and are being willing to pay to get or not pay but be paid to take on contracts if these contracts aren't so darn long and you can get out of a lot of bad deals that way well also i think the biggest difference and i'll say this in the, and then we'll move on the biggest difference between the nba and nfl when it comes to contracts is that in the nfl nba and like those two sports Every team is willing to spend to get star players. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you have a team like Tampa Bay who could care less about free agency. I mean, they put absolutely zero stock into free agency because they know that, I mean, they, they, they see that the contracts usually don't work out. And while teams are getting great value out of guys for those first couple of years of the deal, don't get me wrong, it, it comes back to hurt teams for years. I mean, the Orioles are still hurting from this Chris Davis contract, right? And it's like, in the NFL and NBA, owners are willing to spend to get star players. Well, in the MLB, owners are not willing to spend money to get the best players. They would rather not have the best players and spend less money than spend money. And that sounds very dumb to say when you put it that way, but it's absolutely true when you have teams that I mean, LJ, how many times have we talk about the soft season? Probably only 18, or no, probably only I'd say about 12 of the teams actually cared this off season. The other 18 were just kind of just like sitting there not doing much. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like only about a third of the league, a little more than a third of the league really cared about this year. It's just like in the NBA, we see even like the small market teams that if they have the cap space, they're going to try to sign a max contract in the MLB. 
there is no cap space because it's just however much your your owner wants to spend and unfortunately a lot of these owners are just cheapskates and and that's why i mean i think you're right you did kind of disprove my point there i will admit because a lot of these teams that would be in the bottom tier that you're thinking of selling contracts off to for a couple of years those teams are also trying not to spend much while they wait until their team is ready to actually compete again and that would be a huge hamper to that issue however this brings us back to a topic that a lot of people have mentioned in baseball recently and that is a salary floor if you had no you don't like it oh no no i absolutely yeah. love it i mean i mean, I mean that's if, you, if you had a salary floor not only do you have teams have to be active in free agency but you could see somebody say okay we're 20 million away maybe not 20 million but like we're 10 15 million away from where we really should be why don't we go and we try to say get x player from this contending team that's making 15 million but isn't worth that let's see if we can get some prospects from them in exchange to take on that player and use those types of deals to get over in addition. I think that would really help everybody. Yeah. And, you know, you can also get pretty creative with those contracts too. You know, a team could only retain a certain amount of money just so that they have enough to stay over the salary floor. I mean, I feel like a team like Tampa Bay, while they would absolutely hate having to spend that extra money. I mean, what people don't realize if there's a salary floor, the guys are going to get paid more earlier in their careers. They're going to have to, right? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, it, it, teams will be much more lenient in arbitration. Right. Like they're going to, like, I feel like arbitration, yes, it's, it would still exist, of course, but you're going to have teams that are a lot more willing to take what the player wants because with the salary floor, everyone's going to make more money. I mean, which is great for those guys that are kind of stuck you know, that don't really make a lot. The, the fact that everyone's getting a pay raise is is huge. And um, LJ, I'm sure we're going to talk about Lance Lynn when we get to the to the White Sox. But uh, yeah, no, I would I would totally be down for a salary floor. I think that if you you if you combine that and then the current luxury tax system, it it would it would certainly help the league out a lot more, but I think there's more, the larger issue at hand is the six years of service time. Uh, I feel like you cut that down. You add a salary floor. You're already a hundred times better. Again, I don't even think, but again, either one of those, I think you can make the argument. We can make the argument another day. I think a salary floor is probably a little more helpful in terms of actual making impact then removing that service time partially because of what we touched on there the fact that you know you're going to have teams that kind of push everything off to the last minute and see okay what do we really need to get over the salary floor and then just dole it out to the players i mean overall that's going to make a that could make a significant financial impact but we are moving on to the tigers tigers twins doubleheader Tigers twins doubleheader. Let's get into game one of this one. This one goes seven, of course, because we are still in the land of shortened doubleheaders. 
This one's decided on one swing and one swing only. And that was Robbie Grossman's disgusting dinger. In the bottom of the first, Robbie Grossman goes yard, a solo piece. It makes it one nothing Tigers, and they win the game that way. Uh, give the win to Daniel Norris. Um, Jose Arania went three innings here, allowed two hits with two strikeouts to, for the winning team, Detroit. The loss will go to Barnes of Minnesota. He pitched four and two-thirds, allowing four hits, the one earned run, and one strikeout. The save will go to Soto, his eighth of the year. Moving into game two, this one, we see Josh Donaldson hit an RBI single in the top of the first. This is tied up by Akil Badu. When he does his thing, it ties it up and then some to push Detroit to a 3-1 lead as he hits a bases-clearing triple in the bottom of the second. Josh Donaldson then goes yard in the top of the fourth. Nelson Cruz adds one in the fifth. And we are tied going into the late innings of this one. In the top of the eighth, a wild pitch scores Nick Gordon and puts Minnesota ahead 4-3. But then the Detroit Tigers come rallying back. They score two in the bottom of the the first inning of extra innings, the eighth inning, and win this one, sweeping the doubleheader five to four, doing something that many teams better than them are incapable of. Give the win to Joe Jimenez. He Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He went two innings in relief, allowing one hit in one run with two strikeouts. The loss will go to Taylor Rogers. He pitched two-thirds of an inning, allowed two hits, and the two runs. Oh, yeah, LJ, the Tigers are in third place right now. Uh, did not think I'd be saying that on July 18th. Well, who who thought the Twins would be in the situation they are? Who thought the Kansas City, who started off the year good, would now be worse than the Twins? I mean, that's it's it's crazy that the Royals are now in dead last. There, that's that's just a rough, rough division. Well, also another team that's had a rough year. Both teams, honestly, the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, they face off. And Jake Marisnik gets it started with a sack fly to put the Cubs up one nothing in the second. Bottom three, Josh Rojas, 19th double of the year, drives home a run. It's tied at one. Anthony Rizzo with a solo bomb in the fourth, his 11th. The Cubs take a 2-1 lead. Patrick Wisdom hits a homer in the seventh, along with Jason Hayward with a two-run bomb. Cubs walk away with a 5-1 to one victory over Arizona. The win goes to Kyle Hendricks. Six innings, one earned run, four strikeouts, now 12-4 and four on the year. The loss goes to Madison Bumgarner. LJ, this is, I feel bad for Mag Bum here. 
six innings, two hits, one earned run, six strikeouts, and takes the loss. And uh, the Cubs go to Para, Chafin, Kimbrell to close it out. Diamondbacks have now lost four in a row. Uh, seems like they're just constantly on a losing streak. So, yeah, I mean, at least you'll get the number one pick next year. Actually, I don't know. Them, them and Baltimore are going are gonna to really battle. Really that. slug it out. No, yeah. And the fact that it's already a two-team race just shows how, how bad those two have been this year. You know, it's so painful because, like, I think it's a little easier to swallow the pill when it's a couple of plays in the playoffs that are the difference between success and failure. Whereas you have situations in MLB draft order where it's like, oh man, I can't believe if we just hadn't won this series or like you you rip off a fluky four game stretch at the end of September and it pushes you into the second seed. I mean, that's basically what very nearly happened to the Red Sox. I mean, you're talking about Jack Leiter for the better part of a year for the Red Sox. And if he had got a pick later, the difference between them getting Jack Leiter and not getting Jack Leiter would have been a pointless win over a winning series against the Atlanta Braves at the end of the year. An Atlanta team that ended up going to the NL pennant game. Like, yeah, it was only was only one game away from uh, making the World Series, had a three-to-one lead in the NLCS. Yeah, so, like, it's just, like, f- completely fluky series like that can c- could completely make or break your franchise's f- future when you're trying to get a low pick in the draft. Well, yeah, and, like, draft. not only that, but if Arizona doesn't get this first pick and, and it goes to the Orioles, I – I'm just going to feel so bad for Diamondback fans because the Orioles at least have some sort of future coming up. Unlike Arizona, who just has a pretty bad farm system. You know, they, they, they don't have an Adley Rutschman. They don't have a Grayson Rodriguez, a DL Hall. They don't have those guys in their farm system. And if they, if the, if the Diamondbacks somehow managed to lose like 18 games in a row this year, Right? Is that what it was? Did they lose 18 in a row? No, it was 21. 21 in a row. Well, however many it was on the road. If they somehow managed to do all of that and they don't get the number one pick, it's I, I'm going to feel really bad. And, yes, I do understand that Arizona does have, like, some solid guys. Like, they think no, they so you're really sleeping on Geraldo Perdomo. Geraldo Perdomo. Yeah, no, I mean – Unless this guy's going to be the next Adley Rutschman, then, yeah, uh, I don't know. But Cubs now, I mean, this is like the worst team that they could be playing right now because it's like if you win, it's like, well, we're not supposed to be winning because we're supposed to be selling. But if you lose, it's like, okay, like I get we're supposed to be bad, but we just lost to the Diamondbacks. So this is just a lose-lose for every single game for the Cubs. But at least they get to show off these three bullpen arms. Hopefully they deal a couple of them and get something out of it. Them all again. How how oh how the mighty fall. I mean, we were a, a month ago talking about this team as a playoff contender. Again, just how wild this season is. Again, you can't you can't make this stuff up. Like the, the things that can happen in 60 games, you just can't make up. 
I know, which is why it just goes to show, like, I wish that we could have played out the entire 2020 season because I, I, I would just love to see what the playoffs would have looked like had we had done that. But, yeah, but then, we, then we get no Miami Marlins playoff round. Um, anyway, Indians A's. Mitch Moreland hits an RBI double in the bottom of the first. It makes this a one nothing Oakland lead. Top of the fifth, and Cesar Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario drive in runs. This is before a Fran Mil Reyes solo homer in the top of the eighth extends this out to a 3-1 lead. Sean Murphy hits a sacrifice fly, scoring Oscar Mercado in the bottom of the ninth. This is the best attempt that the A's can muster to make a comeback here as they fall 3-2 to two to the Cleveland Indians, the visitors here. Give the win to Cal Quantrill. Five innings, four hits, one earned, five strikeouts. The loss goes to Frankie Montas. Six innings, six hits, two earned, and seven strikeouts. The save will go to James Karinshack, his 10th of the year. All right, Pirates and Mets. This was a very entertaining game. Uh, well, first we get the news that Francisco Lindor will be out for potentially a couple of months due to a grade two right oblique strain. Uh, not what the Mets want to hear right now. But oh, and then don't don't forget about Degrom missing his next start as well. Yeah, yeah, that's Again. it. Could, could today have been any messier? Like, what, what possibly could have just gone around? No, it, was just, it was just a mess today. And let me tell you, LJ, the end of this game was pretty messy, if you ask me. Uh, Ooh, messy, messy, messy. Well, J.D. Davis starts off this game by hitting two two-run home runs in consecutive uh, at-bats. And it's 4 nothing Mets after six innings. In the seventh, Travis Blakenhorn with a double for the Mets to make it 5 nothing, Jeff McNeil then singles, and it's 6 to nothing. After seven innings, the Mets are cruising to a victory. Pirates fans are very slowly making their way out of the ballpark. Bottom eight, John Nagowski, who started that beef with Marcus Stroman yesterday, he rips an RBI double to put the Pirates on the board, and it's 6 to 1. Kevin Newman then hits into a force out at 6-2. Wilmer Defoe with a three-run home run, LJ. And it's 6-5 Mets after eight, but it's okay. Brandon Nimmo steps up in the top of the ninth, rips his second home run of the year. Mets have a two-run lead. They're bringing on Edwin Diaz. Yes, they were up 6-0 at one point, and the Pirates just scored five in the eighth, but... They got a two-run lead. Edwin Diaz on the mound against one of the worst teams in the league. This should be no issue, right? Well, first batter, Key Brian Hayes, hit by a pitch. Next batter, Brian Reynolds, walks. Uh-oh. All right, first and second, no outs. We got the winning run at the plate. He gets a strikeout. It's okay. We got an out. We're still up by two runs. John Nagowski steps up and rips an infield single. Just very hard hit. Jonathan VR unable to field it cleanly. We got the bases loaded now and one out. Gregory Polanco steps up and he strikes out. All right, LJ, two outs, up by two. Brian or Jacob Stalling steps up next. First pitch gets an inside uh, 
two-seam fastball, basically, that just breaks in on him, turns on it to left field. Edwin Diaz points his hand up in the air like it's a fly ball. It indeed was a fly ball that flew into the stands. A walk-off grand slam for Pittsburgh and Jacob Stallings, and they come all the way back from down 6 nothing to win 9-7. to They score four off of Edwin Diaz in the ninth to win this one. The win to, uh, who is this, Cole Clay Holmes out of the Pirates' bullpen. Will Crow got the start, five and a third, four earned runs. The loss to Edwin Diaz, his third blown save on the year. Tyler Miguel got the start, six innings, six hits, no earned runs for him. And just a brutal loss for the Mets tonight. Uh, yeah, Edwin Diaz, not, not good. No, no bueno. Um, a couple things here. First off, did you see that second play of the game? Because it really bothered me. I did not. So Brandon Nimmo's on first, right? Somehow manages, you've got a deep fly ball from Pete Alonzo into right center. You've got the center fielder and right fielder are both there to make the catch. Like, they were both closing in on it. You could tell that they had something. Brandon Nimmo's all the way on the opposite side of second base when it's caught. Somehow manages to, like, I, I don't understand how you get that far away from first base on a ball to right center field. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Like that's easily adopted. one of the outfielders must have deked him. Like one of the outfielders must have was acting like it was gonna land and then it, caught it or no? No, it was just bad base running. It was just really bad base running. It was just the ultimate not PPP moment. Oh uh, yeah, brutal, brutal, brutal. Um, the other thing I'd like to touch on the John Nagowski thing because I was trying to figure out why it bothered me so much, like. His attitude during that all genuinely bothered me because it was entirely on him. However, the more I realized why it was in my head so much, I realized how much I respect the hell out of him for handling that situation so well after the fact. Because, so for those of you who don't know, there's a little bit of potential fisty cuffs between the Pirates and the Mets yesterday or two days ago now because... Marcus Stroman got a big out and was kind of celebrating to himself with his head down, walking towards the dugout, which happens to be down the first baseline. And John Nagowski took a, 
took issue with it, and all of a sudden they started jawing back and forth. It's pretty easy to get confused and caught up in your own emotions if you're John Nagowski. I mean, I certainly could see myself doing that because it was pretty clear to just about anyone who watched it that Marcus Stroman was not trying to pick a fight with Josh Nagowski. He was doing his own thing. However, once he realized that he had accidentally picked a fight with Marcus Stroman, a fight that there is no way that Marcus Stroman does not finish. He, he handled himself incredibly confidently with a lot of grace and managed to weasel his way out of it all with a lot of confidence and um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I mean, not arrogance, but like, well, while everything was happening, to be fair, the way he the way he did end up handling himself was that once once he saw that he may have incited a benches clearing incident, he just chose to just stand there and not really do anything, which I mean, I can respect because he did he did start it. He hit a line drive. He thought Strowman was trying to show him up by walking off the field. Strowman was pumped up because he got out of the inning. Both guys were just a little too, you know, angry for no reason. They were both getting into it. Strowman, of course, we know he's very, very competitive. And, you know, they just start screaming at each other. The, as soon as he realized what, what was going on, he pretty he, – he, yeah, no, he, he, he just stood there and stopped. He just like yeah, – he, he knew he wasn't winning. However, like – it wasn't like that. The same confidence that was in when he picked the fight was still what was showing. Like if you look at the if you look at the actions, they're the actions of a guy who knows he's already lost the fight, but he wouldn't let his face know that, and he wouldn't let his face know that the next inning when Marcus Stroman started chewing him out from the dugout, and he wouldn't let anyone see that during the interview. It was honestly quite impressive. All right, next up we have. The Orioles and the Royals. Uh, the Orioles at here come out blazing hot. They score the first seven runs of this game in the second and third innings. Carlos Santana adds an RBI double to make this a 7-1 ball game in the bottom of the third. But then a sack fly by Ryan Mountcastle takes that run right on back. The Orioles go on to cruise to a 8-4 win over the Royals. Give the win to Paul Fry, pitching an inning and a third of relief. For, for four and two-thirds of an inning, Jorge Lopez pitched in this one. Seven hits, four earned, four strikeouts for him. Brady Singer gets the loss. He's now three and seven on the year. Singer pitched the first two innings, allowing eight hits, seven earned, and one strikeout. His ERA is now a 5.13. All right, the Brewers and the Reds uh, face off once again. And the Reds score two in the second. They get a Shogo Akiyama uh, hits into a force out. And then Kyle Farmer with an RBI double. We jump all the way to the top of the seventh where the Reds still lead 2-0. Christian Yelich hits a ground out that scores a run. Willie Adamas then ties the game at two with an RBI single. And then uh, we get a sacrifice fly by Omar Narvaez uh, to give the Brewers a three to two lead after uh, seven innings. 
In the bottom of the eighth, Jonathan India steps up and hits a clutch home run to tie the game at three, his seventh of the year, and that would send us to extra innings. Top 10, Luis Urias with an RBI single to put the Brewers up four to three. Also note that the Reds brought in uh, pitcher Michael Lorenzen to play both right and center field in this game. Uh, just found that really interesting. He pitched and they kept him in the game because his bat is actually not that bad. But they uh, Brewers take a 4-3 lead in the top of the 10th. Bottom 10, Tyler Stevenson with a sack fly to tie it. And uh, we're going back to the ele- we're going to the 11th now uh, where Christian Yelich would rip a double to make it 5-4. Abisayel Garcia with a single makes it 6-4. Jace Peterson caps it off with a sack fly at 7-4. Reds are unable to come back from that uh, deficit in the bottom of the 11th. The Brewers get 15 hits to the Reds 5 and they win this one 7-4 in 11 innings. The win goes John Del Gustave out of the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen and has now become my favorite name in the MLB. That was behind a Brandon Woodruff five and two thirds, one earned run start after he struck out eight batters. The season ERA still sits at two. The loss goes to Sean Doolittle, a third of an inning, two earned runs and two hits. Luis Castillo with another fine start, six innings, no earned runs, and eight strikeouts for him. Next up, we have the White Sox and the Astros. The White Sox get cooking here as they get a trio of two-run innings in the third, fourth, and fifth. The first one included solo homers by Zach Collins and Tim Anderson. And the last of those had a Gavin Sheets two-run bomb. Jose Abreu also adds a homer in addition to Jake Berger. As Chicago three hits the Astros in this 10-to-1 win over fellow a fellow contender. Give the win to Lucas Giolito. Nine innings, three hits. Not one, not two, three. We're okay with three. One earned eight strikeouts, and just one home run given up here to Abraham Toro in the eighth inning. Give the loss to Jake Odorizzi. He pitches three and a third, allowing six hits, four earned, and one strikeout. Jake Odorizzi's ERA is now up to a 4.09. And is it just me, Brandon? Does that feel like a kind of a low point still for him this year? Yeah, we did a lot. I remember of, it way higher. We did a lot of shitting on him, like the first couple starts of the year. Uh, it was this was certainly not in a pro Jake Odorizzi podcast. I feel like we just kind of forgot that he was a solid. But you said his ERA is four point oh nine now. Yes. Well, heading into the game, it was a three six one. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like so, like three, six, one, four, oh. That has been towards it's the a big bottom bet. of what he's yeah. done this year. Yeah, no, uh, rough start for him today, certainly. Uh, but 
Lucas Giolito. That's his first complete game since his uh, no-hitter against the Pirates in 2020. So, wow. But the Giants and the Cardinals face off, and not a lot going on in this one. Tyler O'Neill with a solo homer in the second to put St. Louis up one nothing. Paul Goldschmidt homers in the sixth, a two-run bomb, and it's three to zero. St. Louis in the seventh. Steven Duger with an RBI single drives in the Giants' lone run of the game, and that would do it. The Cardinals win this one three to one. Give the win to Kwang Hyun Kim, who has now pitched 21 scoreless innings in a row after he oh. goes six innings, three hits, no earned runs and one strikeout tonight. The loss goes to Anthony DeSlafani, six innings, three earned, four strikeouts. For him, Alex Reyes picks up his 21st save on the season. Um, a couple other notes we missed from yesterday. Yachty had quite the game. Uh, it will be now two days ago for those listening. Not only did he tie Gary Carter and now today pass Gary Carter on the all-time games caught list, but with his 2,065 hits as of two days ago, 2,065 hits as of today, he is now fifth all-time for the Cardinals in that statistic. I also think it's worth noting, like you said, he passed the Gary Carter on the amount of games caught list. It should be noted that back when when a Gary Carter was a catcher, it was completely normal to catch 140 games in a year mm. because uh, Gary Carter did that. He did it six times. So you just think about nowadays. You never see a catcher catch more than 120 games in a season now. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And the fact that Yachty passed him, I mean, it shows just how long Yachty has not only been around, but the fact that he's still catching is is amazing to me. I mean, Yachty has caught 140 games one time in his career, and that was in 2016. But he's just been so consistent. I mean, this guy has really never – had a major injury in his career i mean you check out his baseball reference i mean he's played like a, a, a 130 games pretty much every single season of his career he's he stays healthy and just he's, he's gonna go down i mean when you talk about the players of our generation we don't bring him up enough and he absolutely uh is yeah and i mean again the marvels of modern medicine to be able to keep him in good enough shape to be able to do this for such a long period of time how about him being able to keep himself doing this well for this extended period of time is absolutely brilliant yeah uh and the thing about him is that his his hall of fame case is really interesting because he only has 41 war, but when you compare that to other catchers, I mean, he has un, like only one silver slugger, but it's there, there's going to be people who think that he's he should be, be in there. I mean, according to the Hall of Fame uh, monitor statistic, where 100 is a likely Hall of Famer, he's at 168. 
So, you know, he certainly gets the boost for, for being a catcher. Like, your stats don't have to be anything crazy. And he's also a nine-time gold glover, a four-time platinum gold glover, or platinum glover. So, yeah. No, I honestly, I think, I, I think that most guys, you, you do a disservice to many positions if you're judging them based on the entire pool. Because the specific requirements in what you ask for out of different positions like the catcher position is so vastly different. Again, the amount of games played is so different than any other position. I just, I, I think a lot of people don't take time to consider how good, like if you're one of the best, if you're the best player at your position, like if where the way you rank, stack up against your position needs to be brought into account in Hall of Fame discussion more than it is right now. The one, the last thing I'll say on this. Uh, so, Based on the 16 catchers that are in the Hall of Fame, the average one had 53.8 career war and 34.8 seven-year peak war. So your seven best years added up. Yadis is at 41.3 career war. So he's about 12 war off the average Hall of Fame catcher. And then for as for seven-year peak, he is uh at 28.7 so he's about uh seven war off of the seven year peak so in terms of war not there but you can make the case that a lot of his value came from defense uh which we know the hall of fame doesn't like to vote in those guys anyways but i would think i would think very hard about uh, voting him like he certainly won't be one of my first guys that I would vote when his name gets on the ballot because I'm sure there's going to be other guys that I'm going to want to put on there, but it's going to make I it's going to be a tough vote for me certainly when it comes to there. All right, let's get into this Angels Mariners game. The Angels scored three in the bottom of the second on a Taylor, David Fletcher double. This got them going as they move on to a 5-0 lead after a Taylor Ward RBI double and then a Jack Mayfield home run, his first of the season. Then Mitch Hanniger scores to make this a 5-1 ball game before a Taylor Ward two-run bomb extends their lead once again. David Fletcher adds on to this as the Angels eventually go on to defeat the Mariners 9-4. Give the win to Alex Cobb. He's now seven and three on the year, six and two thirds of an inning, five hits, one earned, and six strikeouts. He is now a three nine six ERA for the season. The loss will go to Yusei Kikuchi. Five innings, seven earned, seven strikeouts. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with the Rays and the Braves. Actually, that's second to last one we'll do. The last one I'll take is Dodgers Rockies. But in Rays Braves, Atlanta scores six in the bottom of the fourth. They get Ozzy Albies with a RBI double, Austin Riley with a sack fly, Max Reed pitchers who rake. Of course, had the walk off, the pinch hit walk-off hit earlier this year 
he rips a double to left fielder Austin Meadows that scores two runs. LJ, Max Freed, three for three today. Uh, certainly making his case for the National League Silver Slugger Award for pitchers. Jock Peterson then homers, and it's six to nothing Atlanta after four innings. They would pile it on as Freddie Freeman homers in this one. Dansby Swanson, RBI double in the sixth. And then Freddie Freeman caps it off with a sack fly. The Braves win 9-0. Max Freed, seven innings, four hits, no earned runs, seven Ks. Of course, also went three for three hitting with the two RBI double. On the season now, uh, Max Freed is hitting 333 with a 700 OPS. And he has had, I believe, 27 at bats this year he's nine for 27 so i mean solid with over almost an 800 ops and he now has a 4.29 era and a seven five record so very nice for max Fried. the absolutely shohei otani that we didn't know we needed but uh yeah we have josh fleming with the loss four and a third seven earned runs and I will get on to the last recap, which is the Dodgers and the Rockies. Max Muncy with an RBI single in the top of the first to put the Dodgers on the board. Kyle Freeland, pitchers who rake, sacrifice fly, ties the game up at one. Mookie Betts with his 14th homer of the year. He's starting to come around lately. And it's two to nothing Dodgers. Or two to one Dodgers. You're gonna wish you didn't say that, by the way. Why? Uh oh, he says he's fine. Okay. Because he left this game with a right hip irritation. Well, I think the reason I said it is because I will get to later on uh what he did. Might be. No, you're go you're all good. Uh Ryan McMahon ties it in the third with a double. It's two to two. Max Muncy steps up in the sixth. He rips an RBI single. Dodgers retake the lead. A.J. Pollock homers to make it 4-2. to two. Max Muncy then homers. It's 5-2 in the eighth inning. They pull away. Justin Turner with an RBI double. And then Max Muncy with a two-run home run. Max Muncy with two home runs and an RBI single in this one. The Dodgers win 9-2. Mookie Betts goes 4-4 four for four with that home run. Max Muncy, four for five with five RBIs. And now LJ, very sneakily, his Max Muncy's OPS is at 997. So almost a thousand mark for Uh him. Uh, Yeah, just been, he's been unbelievable this year. But the win to Walker Bueller, seven innings and two earned run, eight strikeout ball. The loss to Kyle Freeland, six innings, three earned runs and four strikeouts. And yeah, the Dodgers pick up yet again another win. I believe they've now won four games in a row and uh, only set a game back of San Francisco, who, of course, uh, took that loss tonight. So very close once again in the NL West. But that is uh, all we have for today's show, I believe. Thank you for listening. Be sure to play our trivia game. We had quite a bit of interaction the other day as people couldn't seem to figure out whether that was uh, Dennis Eckersley or Raleigh <laughs> Fingers. So uh, 
that was certainly interesting. Uh, but yeah, player trivia game at MLB Daily Pod on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok, also at MLB Daily Pod. And uh, thank you. we love the TikTok. Love the TikTok. Yeah, we're actually yeah we actually have quite a bit of support on the TikTok. We had almost uh, a thousand plays on uh, on one of our uh, TikToks. So we're getting there. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening once again. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with your Sunday recap. We'll be able to record earlier and get that out to you uh, tomorrow night as I don't believe there's a Sunday night game. Uh, I haven't seen one scheduled. So yeah, we could be recording at 7 p.m. tomorrow. But yeah. What time, wait, what time, wait, 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 what time are the Sox-Yankees? Is that, is that, I'm pretty sure it starts at... Um, Sox Yankees is seven. Oh, okay. They they did flex that. Okay. Okay. I'll say that. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't have been a fun time. I mean, how am I supposed to watch the U.S. and Canada at five? And then. Oh, we also there was actually if there's one game Mike that we kind of forgot to mention. Marlins oh, yeah. Phillies is getting, uh, that game's tied at two right now in extra innings, uh, got suspended that's resuming tomorrow uh in the top of the 10th with a runner with the runner on second base in the middle of an at bat no less but yeah uh but yeah they can stop games there in the middle of yeah, no in the middle of an at bat they're fine stopping a game but when they pull all the players off the field uh they're no oh, now when there's an actual tsunami going across the bronx they can't the tsunami stop. and flying projectiles are hitting players, but no, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. Totally okay. Thank you for listening. We will see you tomorrow. See you manana. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.